Welcome to Detoxicity. By men, about men, for everyone. This is a podcast that's attempting to remix the narrative around masculinity, and I thank you for listening and supporting. If you're new to the podcast, I hope you check out the archive, which contains over 150 episodes. I'm always happy when someone reaches out with a friendly word or constructive criticism, so never hesitate to hit me up either via IG at DetoxPodGuy or via email, DetoxPod at gmail.com. You can also contact me if you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you know someone who might be a good guest for the show. Uh, There's also a Detoxicity Patreon. Patrons get episodes one week early, plus I will mail you a cool DetoxPod fridge magnet. Go to bit.ly slash DetoxPod Plus to find out more. Oh, one more thing. Late last year, I completed my certification uh, courses, and I am now a life and relationship coach. I'm taking clients. Go to mike-joseph.com and book a free consultation. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate you. So on or around the time this episode airs, we will be closing in on four years of this podcast. And one thing that's been important for me to check in on over the last few weeks has been getting with previous guests, particularly from early in the run of the show, so we can catch up, find out what they've been up to, the things that they've been doing, the new things in their life, whether they be jobs or financial or relationship-wise or kid-wise or whatever it is. Anyway, one of the first people that circled back to me was Ned Donovan, who was the guest on episode 49 of this show. I think we recorded that back in 2021. At the height of the pandemic, we were still pretty much locked in our homes. The first vaccines hadn't uh, rolled out yet, so it was a much different time. And three years later, there are a lot of different things going on in both of our lives. And Ned's story in this particular conversation really, really focuses on maybe less him and more his wife uh, or what they've gone through as a couple attempting uh, to have a baby uh, with the fertility process and it covers so many things and I don't want (laughs) to I don't want to give the the conversation away before it actually starts but it really highlights things that are wrong with capitalism, things that are wrong with our medical system here in America. Um, and it does circle back to masculinity in a few ways. But this is a story that touches so many different bases. And I appreciate Ned coming back on to talk in depth about this. In addition to that, I should also mention that Ned has created a show called Encounter Party, which is Super focused on D&D, but he says that even people who don't like D&D, like me, will be interested. I'm going to have to find out about that for sure. I'm going to watch some episodes. Anyway, uh, he's the executive producer of Encounter Party. He's an actor in Encounter Party. He is a decorated actor and singer and theater performer and so many other things. So, welcome Ned Donovan back to Detoxicity. So, I haven't done too many of these part twos and part threes, particularly after such a long time has elapsed. So I'm not quite sure how to begin these, but I I was looking a little earlier and it has been just about three years since the first time we spoke. That tracks because I think I was living in Maine during COVID the first time we spoke. So why don't you reintroduce yourself to the listeners because it's been so long. Heck yeah. What's up, Detoxicity listeners? My name is Ned Donovan. I am an actor. I'm a singer. I'm a producer. I'm a audio 
and I'm a multi hyphen, lots of hyphens. That's what I am. I primarily am an actor and I'm secondarily a producer. And then the rest of the hyphens fall from there. Currently, I am the star of. Uh, currently, I'm one of the stars. The of, star. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like saying it. Uh, currently, I'm one of the stars of and an executive producer of Encounter Party, which is the official Dungeons and Dragons television show currently airing on Dungeons and Dragons Adventures. Uh, it is a 22 episode fiction television show. It is a fantasy mystery thriller improvised in real time by seven actors by playing the game Dungeons and Dragons. The ga- the show is outstanding. Audiences are going nuts for it, uh, especially non-D&D audiences, which frankly is the, the thing that makes me so happy. We made a show playing this game, but aimed at anyone, and people are responding so well. So anyway, that's me. Uh, wow. when, when last we spoke, I was doing these things, but I worked at a tech company to pay my bills. I no longer work at said tech company. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you. And I, let's see, what else? I recently had to join the uh, Screen Actors Guild SAG-AFTRA. I ran out of non-union time, so I'm now a double actors union member, and I make my living doing whatever this is. <laughs> it is great to have you back. After I'm so thrilled were, to be here, honestly. You are episode 49, so depending on when this episode falls, it will have been, I'm going to estimate, 110 episodes since... You if you look at the picture you show. used, I had a lot more hair. My head's shaved now. Well, you're wearing a hat, man. That's we true. I tell. am wearing a Portland Sea Dogs hat, uh, which, which we were just discussing yes. coming into this. Uh, I'm from Portland, Maine. I'm a proud hometown boy. And Mike here did me the huge solid of wearing uh, the T-shirt of my hometown haunt that I spent an ungodly amount of hours at. Mike, okay. what's that? Can I just say that I love Bull Moose? Shout out to Chris Brown. Shout out Ian. Shout out Brett. Shout out everybody that works for Bull Moose and that has worked for Bull Moose in the past. We had a business relationship for many years when I was living in New England and all of my experiences with them and with Portland, Maine and Maine in general, except for the one time I saw a Confederate flag, have I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> have been very, very positive. Well, but, uh, Bull Moose now is, uh, I believe, employee-owned and operated. It is employee-owned, so which super is progressive. Awesome. Yes. Uh, and it's still a place I go every time I'm home, buy some stuff. They honestly usually have a really good selection of board games. Do they really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the reasons I love shopping there, there are three reasons I love shopping there that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. One, they sold incense. Yeah, that's true. Which I'm a very scent forward kind of person. Right. Uh, those of you who've been to my place are aware that there are candles burning or there is incense burning all the time. So Great. that's number one. Number two is that because Bull Moose is located in Maine, it was very easy to find a lot of the music I liked at a cheap price. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Bull Moose was so affordable. Yeah. It is. It still is. Still very affordable. Yeah. And shit, what was the third thing? Was it that my thing was I used to buy an ungodly amount of DVDs. They always had great movies at great prices used, and I would buy them in in massive bagfuls. I was never a big DVD guy, and by the time I moved to Boston in 2008, I had already sort of started to jump off of the DVD train. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I bought tons of used CDs. I, they have a, totally. a, a warehouse that is also a store in Scarborough, Maine, and sure uh, my buyer, Ian, would drive me to that store and we'd have lunch. And, and then I would go there and I would just buy tons of shit. And the third thing was that they had, I don't know if they still have, an employee reward, re- rewards card. Or uh, uh, not an employee. 
a, con- a customer, customer rewards card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a very good rewards program. Yeah. Still do. And Whenever I yes. go in there, I still give them my phone number and they tell me how many points I got. Yes. It just occurred to me that they still do because I still buy from them online and Excellent. I get points. Yep. It rocks. Yes. Uh, Bull Moose Music in Maine. And I think there are also, yeah, there's one in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. So just yeah, in I've New England. As well. Yeah. Shout out to Bull Moose. They rock. So here we are three years later. When we spoke the first time, you were in Maine because we were still in pretty much, not pretty much, we were in we COVID. We were in the height yeah. of COVID. Yeah. I mean, it was January 2021. Yeah. So it was before the vaccines were rolled out. Correct. Uh, and- I was living in a house in Maine with my then girlfriend, now wife. Thank you. I'm Thank you. a lot for you. This yeah, episode, yeah. I, I've had a really exciting four years, three years. So, so I was living in that place. We were both working fully remote. I was actually at the time releasing the third season of my podcast, which is now a TV show. So that's the other evolution is my podcast went wow. from seven, six people in a living room to it's now on television. That's fucking great. Yeah. It's been a really good couple of years. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's other stuff that has gone on. Also, you talked a lot about being an actor, being in theater, and then having to kind of bow out for a bit. Totally. When my parents passed away, I had to take a good hiatus. Right. And your entrance back into that world. Yeah. If I remember correctly, was there even some health stuff on your end? I had throat surgery. Yeah. So I make a living in musical theater. And in between my parents passing, I had to have a, a growth removed from my vocal cords. And so, yeah, my break kept getting extended until finally I just decided to make it self determining. Right. Oh my God, so much has happened. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a, a lot has happened. And uh, what else has gone on in the three years since you and I last spoke for this? Well, I mean, my, my wife and I have uh, bought an apartment up in the Bronx. We love our neighborhood up here in Riverdale. Shout out. We have a dog now. Oh. Uh, Bugsy Moogs, because Muggsy Bogues was my favorite basketball player as a kid. And when we Is- adopted... Is this dog diminutive? The opposite. All right. <laughs> uh, when we got him, he came with a name Monroe, and he never felt like a Monroe. And while we were hunting for his forever name, we found ourselves calling him Bug as a nickname. And so we were like, well, let's find a name where Bug makes sense, because that nickname's going to stick. And so we kept joking around with all different versions of Bugs Bunny and whatever. And at one point, Bugsy Malone got said, and I was like, ah, Bugsy Malone. He's a bad gangster. I don't need that. He's like, was bad at stuff. And so then I was like, well, what about Bugsy Moogs? And my wife was like, I don't understand. And I was like, oh, Muggsy Bugs. <laughs> and so we have that. He's great. He's a half Black Lab, half German Shepherd. Awesome. When, we adopt, when he, we adopted him, he was four months old and 17 pounds. And now he's nine months old and 55 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, get him a driver's license. Yeah, he's a big boy. He's got a mortgage and two kids. And then in the theme of, of, I would say, this podcast, I've had a life experience, I would say, that started like 2020. We spoke in 2021, really kicked off, I would say, in earnest late 2021 through now that I think is something I've thought about a lot and I've thought about a lot in relationship to detoxicity because so much of my experience with it is wrapped up in my views of manhood and my views of who my worth is for and how society views me. When I met my wife on our third date, we actually had our third date at her apartment because she was freezing her eggs for the future, for fertility. And our third date was her giving herself shots in the bathroom while we still got to know each other. And uh, How did that that feel for you on a third date? 
I mean, it was weird. When we met on a dating app, we are a dating app success story, everybody. More class. Uh, we, we met on an app that I don't always recommend to people, but it worked great for us. That would be The League. Uh, what the hell was that? Yo, The League, when I joined, I think they've lightened up a little bit, but when we joined The League, you were in a wait list and they approved you based on the strength of your LinkedIn profile. What the fuck? Yeah, it was fucked up. <laughs> and so when she joined, she was the seventh employee or something at Jessica Alba's Honest Company. And so when she joined, all of her LinkedIn was Jessica Alba's friends. <laughs> and when I joined, I was working in crypto and all of my LinkedIn was crypto billionaires. <laughs> and so I got in and neither of us live that life anymore, but it's how we got onto the <laughs> I've never heard of this before. It's insane. So anyway, shout out to the league. I kind of think they suck, but it worked great for meeting my wife. You know what I mean? So she had actually said, why are you on the apps? What do you want in life? Very quickly. And she was very upfront that she wanted kids. She wanted to be a mom. And that was a huge part of what she was looking for in a partner. And I have always wanted to be a dad. And I was like, that's not a deal breaker for me. That doesn't mean we're getting married tomorrow. But yeah, that's an interest to me. And so that's how I felt on the third day. You know, we're still feeling it out, but this is her living her life and me living mine. And I'm not going to stand in front of her life or do it was fine. So the reason that my wife was doing that is she ran the New York Marathon twice. She was at the height of her physical life, I guess. And she went to get her fertility check because she was turning 30 and they let her know she has a thing called diminished ovarian reserve, which means she was born with just less eggs than you're supposed to when you're a woman. And so she is on like a list for hitting menopause way early. And therefore they were like, you should freeze your eggs because you don't have a ton left. Whereas normally she would have had, you know, three, four times as many. And so she started doing these egg retrieval cycles And anyone who's been through this, you know that you're supposed to get 10, 20, 30 eggs per cycle. And it sucks. You have to give yourself these shots that are miserable and they make you miserable. You pump your body full of hormones and it is awful. I I just can't less recommend unless you desperately want it. You know what I mean? It's truly dreadful what you have to do to your body to achieve this goal of yours. And for her, she was getting one egg, maybe two per cycle. She ended up doing six. One was canceled because they got zero eggs. And I think she ended up with nine eggs out of six or five retrieval cycles, which is just like nothing. Wow. And so we got engaged and we talked about it and we were like, all right, we're going to start. We talked with her fertility doctor. We're like, we're going to start trying to have kids. And this was before we were married, but not by much. And let me tell you, the least sexy thing on earth is trying to have kids from a doctor's order based on, <laughs> I don't know, temperatures and times of day. And it's miserable. Timed it, intercourse is the least sexy thing. Yeah, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. It's like a job. It's a chore. Right. <laughs> so the doctor, she was like, do you want to do IVF? Do you want to use these eggs? And we said, no, we'll keep the eggs frozen. We'll do it the good old natural way. And if after six months we're seeing nothing, we'll, we'll explore other options. And so after six months, we saw nothing. And everyone was like, yeah, that makes sense. Your wife has diminished ovarian reserve. It's hard to get pregnant when you have that. And everyone was like, yeah, cool. And something that's been true about me my whole life is I, we talked about this on the last podcast. I, I had a wonderful relationship with my parents, but they weren't great parents. I had a wonderful relationship with them, but I was raised by 50 people, very few of whom were my parents. 
And so I, I've always said I don't view my parental figures as necessarily those blood related to me. Mm. So my world has always been comfortable with the idea of adoption. Being a stepdad has never, I had a stepmom. She was great. And so that's never bothered me. And I've said that for many, many years. I've always wanted to be a dad, but that doesn't mean I need to biologically have right, children. Right, you don't need to procreate. And so through this, we weren't, we weren't being, well, and, you know, they said, if it fails, do you think you want to adopt? What do you want to do? Do you want to do a surrogate system? We were having all these conversations. And so once after six months, we weren't pulling it off and everyone was like, look, this is how it goes with diminished ovarian reserve. Now I have to get tested. To do IVF, you have to have these, there's so many regulations. I have to go get tested for every disease in the world. I have to get genetically tested to make sure that Jenny and I aren't a genetic disaster. You're not allowed to scientifically create a child that has a, a lower than a certain percentage of not having certain illnesses. There's all sorts of these reasons why you're not. So I had to go get tested. And the testing is awkward. The blood stuff happens. You're used to that. But then it's like, hey, go in this room. We've got porn on a TV, jerk off in a cup. That's how this works. <laughs> That's what it is. And have a nice time. And I, I did my thing. I went home. This was probably December of 21 would be my guess. November of 21, I think. Okay. And later that day or the next morning, I got a call from the clinic and they were laughing. And they were like, Ned, we fucked up your test. So you had to go back? And I was like, you did what? And they're like, we don't know what we did, but we fucked up your test. And you have to go do it again. Obviously, we're paying for it. Can you just come back in? We fucked it up. We're so sorry. So and you I was like, go back and whack off in a cup a second time. Correct. Like the next day. So your boy goes back. He does his duty. He heads on out. He goes home. He laughs about it with everyone. The most annoying part, honestly, was that I had to get on the train and go from Brooklyn to Midtown again. <laughs> that shit pissed me off. That's, that's relatable. <laughs> that is super fucking relatable. So they call me back the next day and they're like, hey, we didn't fuck anything up. Something's wrong with you. Holy shit. Okay. And I was like, oh. And they were like, you have zero sperm. Not like a low sperm count. You don't have any. There are zero sperm in your sample. And that's weird. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I, I got referred to a male fertility specialist and I went through that process and that was crazy. What does that even entail? Bunch of people grabbing your testicles and theorizing mostly. And they, they did a lot of blood work. They did a lot of, can we figure out what's going on? And I got re-referred to a penis specialist who... Basically did all the blood work again and grabbed my testicles a bunch again and was like, hey, you have a blockage. We don't know why. It often happens like the most common thing we think happens is you played contact sports as a kid. You had an injury to your dick you never knew about. It's just been lingering for a long time. Blockages are super easy to clear. There's basically two surgeries you can get. You can go in there and fix the blockage or bypass the blockage entirely, go into the testicle, extract sperm, use it. And then fix the blockage another time. They don't really do both at the same time because they're completely different surgeries. Okay. And so he was like, you have a blockage. Um, we're going to do this blood work that's going to show us you have a blockage. Let's schedule a surgery. It's super easy. We knock you out for 10 minutes. We do the thing. You have a bad week. You're back on your feet. Good to go. And I was like, great. Um, so the blood work is if you have a blockage, your body's still making sperm. 
And blue balls aren't really a thing. And the reason they're not a thing is your body has a spermicide internally. And it basically checks when you're getting too full and it just starts killing sperm. And so if you have a blockage, your body is raging with this spermicide, right? Because you're making all of it, none of it's going away. And your body's working overtime to kill off all the sperm. And he was like, this will show us your blockage. We'll be good to go. And it came back and I had zero of those either. Huh. And I was like, does anyone think this is weird? Right? (laughs) You said this is the thing and this is how we'll prove it's the thing. And the thing is not proven. Is anyone concerned? And he was like, no, I've seen this a bunch. You still have a blockage. I don't fully know where it's going, but you have a blockage. I'll figure it out when I get in there. And again, the surgery takes like 10 minutes. I got to ask. Yeah. I'm trying to word this properly. Yo, it's a weird topic. Right. This is also the first time I've really ever talked about this. And I'm normally really good at talking about this stuff. So shame on me for being awkward. You have this blockage. Would that show your ejaculate? Okay. Because basically you release sperm into the ejaculate. The ejaculate works normally. The reason they feel confident I had a blockage was that I had all the normal counts of ejaculate. I just didn't have sperm. Okay. And so the joke was the surgery was on a Tuesday. I golf now. That's my super white addition to my life. Um, (laughs) As if you could get any whiter, Ned. Yo, it's bad. (laughs) Jeez. And so his joke was, you'll be golfing by Saturday. That's how easy this thing was. And I was like, all right. So now we have to back back out because I'm about to give you the bird's eye view of how insane the fertility process is. Okay. All right. So now we've gotten Ned needs a surgery. We're getting sperm. We decided not to fix the blockage because we were going to do an IVF cycle with my wife. We were like, fuck it. We are going to go pull the eggs out of freezing. We're going to get sperm from Ned's testicles. We're going to fucking make the thing. And then we're going to do an IVF cycle. That's the plan now. Right. So my wife's been doing the most insane shots in the world because your body has to be perfectly primed for IVF. You need to catch it before your period. But after certain stages, it can get fucked by like eating a carrot on the wrong day. It's it's a nightmare, honestly and truthfully. I, I cannot more express how much men should know women go through in the fertility process. Uh, it is a nightmare. They are warriors. Bless every one of them. Hmm. Um, and so the, the second piece of this that's insane is my wife's fertility clinic doesn't do male fertility, right? So I have to get all my shit done somewhere else. But that place doesn't do female fertility. Oh, good God. So the way that this had to work, I'm literally writing a movie script about this. It's amazing. (laughs) Is Ned gets put under anesthesia. They go in with a needle into my testicle. They're going to extract a bunch of sperm. They're going to put it in some sample bags. They're going to put it in a cooler. They're going to hand it to my wife. Hand it to her. She's going to leave me while I recover from anesthesia because sperm samples must be in a freezer within 60 minutes. She then has to take the cooler across town to her clinic to get them in the freezer within 60 minutes or the samples are dead. This is a movie. This Re- is replace, a movie. Do you replace ever see- the sample with a bomb. Did you ever see 28 Blocks with Most Def and Bruce Willis? It's I that heard, movie. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, 
Jesus Christ. It's 28 blocks, but instead of most deaf is a guy trying to get to trial, it's sperm getting to a fertility clinic. <laughs> so, so because of that, we had to have friends involved because legally no one can leave me at the hospital under anesthesia. So a friend has to come to me and stay with me while my wife leaves to go take the sperm to the clinic. So we did it one step farther. We didn't want to have to deal with parking the car. So we got another friend who drove my car so my wife could walk out the front door, get in a passenger seat, and go, right? We had time sheets. We have crazy shit. 100%. The joke of this movie, too, is I'm under anesthesia. I'm just asleep. I'm not part of this movie. So anyway, now fast forward. I'm giving you the Ned's Vive view of this. This is what is going to happen. So I wake up from anesthesia. It's important to note, Ned is medically bad with, with anesthesia. They don't know why. It hits me so hard. I wake up swearing like a sailor. Like, when I was in high school, I had to have a huge part of my knee reconstructed. And the nurses called me fuck shit, bitch. Because that's what I would chant every time I woke up from anesthesia. And it wasn't a pain response. It was just... Fuck shit, bitch. Fuck oh. shit, bitch. Alrighty then. So anyway, I wake up from anesthesia, and in the room are my friend Rachel, who is helping out, and my wife. And I was like, oh, awesome. She made it there, she made it back. My anesthesia, I slept way too long. Here's the thing, it was only a 12-minute drive to her clinic. So we knew she could be back before I woke up. This right. wasn't surprising. And my surgery was at 6 in the morning, 6.30 in the morning. And I was like, what time is it? And my wife goes, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. God, and I know. said out loud, that can't be an inspiring story. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor comes in. And he goes, we found nothing in there. Nothing. And we ended up not just doing an extraction. We cut open both of your testicles. And we went through every single tubule in there. No sperm. Nothing. We took a bunch of samples. We gave them to your wife to take to the clinic just in case. But we don't think there's any sperm in there. We're very sorry. My wife had received these samples, received this same message from the doctor, had taken the samples dutifully to her fertility clinic and come back. But the reason I was still asleep is the surgery took five hours. It was supposed to take 10 minutes. I'm speechless. So they took a bunch of samples from me, a bunch of biopsies, and he was like, and your recovery is now a month and a half. Oh, my God. Yeah. Golfing by Saturday is out, <laughs> which my wife and I joke about it a lot, but I'm pretty sure neither of us signed anything that said they could extend the surgery. And that just occurred to me. Shouldn't they have gotten a signature from you anything. if you were going to do I'm, something else? I'm sure because it's New York City and hospitals are so sure they're going to get sued right. that I signed something somewhere that says they could do this, but I have no memory that he was allowed to do this. Huh. So I then ice on the balls and sit down. I had to wear a jockstrap support for three weeks. Nightmare. Just nightmare shit. Some of the worst pain I've ever been in. And I finally went back in to get checked out, see how I'm healing. Everything's healing fine. He's like, we got your biopsies back. You have a genetic condition. Your sperm don't mature to the point where they become sperm. You have millions of what should be sperm, and they stop their maturation before they show up on the sperm count sheet. That's why it showed you have zero, 
but it's also why you don't have any spermicide because there's no sperm to kill because mm. your body works normally. It's just that your body isn't making sperm to the point that they are sperm. It's super rare. Very few dudes have this. Wow. What You get that news. What is in your head? So, first of all, I'm a dark humor kind of guy. I got two <laughs> dead parents from my 20s. So the first thought is, what are the odds that a woman with really rough fertility issues would marry a dude with significantly worse fertility issues? That was my first thought. <laughs> but my second thought was in that moment, and my wife is the most wonderful, supportive woman on the planet, but I killed my wife's dream. Her mm. greatest dream is to be a mom. Now, we have other options. We're going to get to that. But in that moment, that was what my brain did. My third thought was, and, and I joke about this with my friends, but how lucky am I that my emotional state was built on I have never needed to be biologically related to children? Mm. Right? Mm, I had yeah. this thought in that room. I was like, I have been saying this since I was like 15 years old. And it turns out at no time could I have ever been biologically related to children. Children. My fourth thought was I worked so hard to not get people pregnant for so long. I should have had a t-shirt that said, I literally can't and just had a blast. <laughs> that was another thought I had. Could have robbed uh, your way through your twenties, Ned. I could have had the greatest college life <laughs> is what I'm saying. All of these hit me kind of all at once. And you know, the doctor was very kind. He was like, look, this condition's very rare, which means no one's really doing research into it because there's no money in solving a problem 30 people have. If anything ever comes up, you're now in the database. We'll call you. Like if anyone knows how to reverse this, if anyone can identify the genetic markers, right? And then that was it. We left. I went back into recovery. This was June. And shit got crazy. Because then, of course, the IVF cycle we had planned, now we're coming back into the nightmare of this whole thing. Like, we'll come back to my emotional state, but our IVF cycle was covered by health insurance. Mm -hmm. What happens in that moment, it converts from an IVF cycle because there's now no sperm to make fertilized eggs to do IVF. So now we're just doing an egg retrieval on my wife. That's not covered by health insurance. Oh, so boy. then we got a phone call saying we owed them $10,000 immediately. And we just had to come up with that money same day. Oh, shit. So that became a fucking nightmare. And then now we're in the process of we're freezing more eggs. Now we're talking sperm donors, right? And so we discussed it and we looked through all the books that you can like pick your sperm donor. And we decided we wanted to go with a donor that was known. This was for many reasons, but number one is I actually am friends with a lot of donor-conceived individuals, oh, and a okay. lot of them have had a tough time later in life when their donor was from a catalog because they have no knowledge. It really hits when you're 30 and all your genetic shit starts popping up. They can't get any of those answers. Their doctors can't help them. I have so many friends who have had a really tough time with this, and we basically said we have a short list of people we would trust to ask this question. The way it works is lawyers out the wazoo, this person has no right to this child. They're doing us a favor, but we literally legally take their sperm and it's ours. But we, we have a short list of people we would ask, but we'd rather be known because when the child's old enough, they should have access to their medical history. That was the thought. 
And so we started that process. And that process is a fucking nightmare. It is a nightmare. Everyone has to get tested out the wazoo. You are legally required. I have to have therapy. Jenny has to have therapy. The donor has to have therapy. We all have to have group therapy. Then the therapist has to sign off on a document approving all of us in the mental state to perform. That's all things that we have to pay for that's not covered by any health insurance, right? So that's 250 an hour times four. There's a thousand bucks right there, right? Our donor ended up being a person where it was across state lines. So we had to get people licensed in other states to pull things off. We had to do all this shit. And we had a fertility clinic who, frankly, kind of sucked and they kept dropping the ball. So our donor went to go do his blood testing and got there and they were like, they didn't write the right prescription. We can't do this for you. And so my donor had to leave that place and then come back on a different day, like a nightmare. And then we had to bring the donor to New York, right? Because we're talking across state lines and because everything had to be here in New York at the clinic Mm -hmm. and they fucked up his blood test. So he had to do it twice. We had all this shit. We had multiple donations. It was a nightmare. It was so expensive and so stressful and just involved me yelling it people all the time to be like, I need you to understand that when you don't do your job, you are jeopardizing my family. I need you to just do the job. It was a nightmare. But finally, we got it. We got all the sperm. We have all the eggs. We legally own everything. It's time to do the IVF. We had six vials of sperm and you use one vial per IVF cycle. And my wife didn't have enough eggs. So we had one shot with my wife's eggs. So we took my wife's eggs. I think she had seven. It might have been nine. Thawed them, fertilized them with the sperm. And then you wait and see how it goes. And only one survived the process. So we had one viable embryo. And we went in one day and implanted the embryo. We took pictures. We celebrated this little dude. And then you just go away for two weeks. Try not to do very much. And then you come back for a pregnancy test. And two weeks later, we went back and we were not pregnant and IVF had failed. No more frozen eggs. They were like, you can do more retrievals. And we were like, why? They're such a nightmare on, on my wife, who is a trooper. She did so many of these things. Yeah, I got to say, as much as you went through. She's been uh, through My heart a goes out to more. you, but my heart goes out to your wife a million times a, more. A billion times more. And so IVF failed and we took ourselves on a honeymoon. We just fucked off. We had a honeymoon planned and the honeymoon would have had to have been canceled if she had been pregnant. Wait, I'm going to lighten this up a little bit, if you don't mind. Y'all paying all these damn bills. How the hell did y'all afford a honeymoon? Oh, (laughs) we had booked it before these bills. (laughs) It was already booked. Gotcha. (laughs) And it was non-refundable. And so it was money we were going to lose if my wife was pregnant. So we were looking forward to losing the money. And then we didn't. So we went on our honeymoon. Right. And we came back and we now did what's known as IUIs, which is essentially the fancy version of the turkey baster method. You take a bajillion hormones, you get your body perfectly ready, they thaw one of those vials of sperm, they turkey baster you. Hope it works. And we were like, all right, we got five shots at that. And they're like, well, no, you have four. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, you only had five vials originally. And I was like, no, we had six. I said six. You said six. And they were like, that's a mistake. It was five. And I was like, Okay, so we have one less than anticipated. Cool. So we have four shots at this. And we keep doing them, and they keep failing. And it is a fucking nightmare. It is a nightmare on my wife. Because now my job's done. 
nothing I can do helps here. Right, yeah, just be a support. You're helpless, kind of. Yeah, I'm not part of the science anymore (laughs) beyond the emotional science. And it keeps being a nightmare. And the shit my wife has to go through to get ready for these are terrible. We constantly talk about, is it worth doing it? And the answer was, we should use all the sperm. We went through so much to get this fucking sperm. We will try until we run out of sperm. And so we come in for our final one. And we try very hard to be in a good emotional state. But after three, four failures, you're like, fucking, what are we doing? And we're in the waiting area and it's half an hour past our appointment time. And we're like, what's going on? And our fertility doctor calls us because she's not there. They're doing it remote. And she was like, hey, we thawed the sperm. It's not the greatest sample. It doesn't have a ton of viability. It's fine. But what we could do for you is thaw your final sperm and mix them together and see if it gets better. And I said, hold the fuck up. What final vial? And they were like, you have two, we thawed one, you have one left. And I was like, you said we had five. Five. You fucking assholes. Did we have six? Did we? And they were like, we don't know, obviously. And And they were like, isn't this such great news? You have another shot if this one fails. And I was like, no, this is not great fucking news. We walked in here emotionally ready for this to be it. If this doesn't work, we have to do it again? Are you out of your fucking... I think I called her an emotional terrorist. It was bad. I don't blame you. I was so pissed. And I was like, here's the deal. Take us back to the fucking room. Do not thaw that last one. We're going to talk about it. And I want someone to walk in that fucking room and explain to me how this happened. That's what I need right now. And we went into the room and we talked about it and we were miserable. And we were like, if there's one left, we should not mix them. They did explain that mixing them would increase the viability basically nothing. Mm. I was like, we shouldn't do it. If this one fails, we got another shot. It sucks, but we got it. You know what I mean? We should do it. And they came in and what they told us is nightmare fuel. They were like, after we did your IVF, the guy wrote down in the notes, five vials remaining. And someone took those notes and put them in a computer, but instead of saying five vials remaining, they said five total vials. And they've been counting off that math ever since. And I was like, right, but I told you there were six. And no one fucking listened to me. Or my wife, who you've been ignoring for years. Being a woman in the medical industry is insane. For instance, just to back out, they would call my wife and my wife would ask for things. And they would be such shitty people to her. She was constantly in tears over how people would talk to her during this process. I would call and it would get done in minutes and everyone was so kind. And it is so clear it's because I was a guy. It was so fucking clear. Mm. I, I will name this clinic at the end and they can sue me out the ass. No one ever fucking work with them. They are the biggest fertility clinic in the country too, so fuck them. So we go through all this, we do another one, it fucking fails and we're miserable. And so we have one fucking shot left now and we keep doing the hormones and my wife starts getting cysts and they keep having to cancel them, which we were supposed to be done in February. So we're like, all right, the next one will be March. We ended up finally doing it in July. And every time you do this, you have to put your life on hold because you're not allowed to get on a plane. So we had trips to visit family that we would have to cancel. And then we would get to the date and they'd be like, we can't do it. You have a cyst. Like it was such, I'm so mad. The helplessness of watching how they treated my wife day in and day fucking out. And it was all just money on us. They'd be like, hi, you need to start taking this medication. And we'd be like, 
hi, you said in the notes we don't have to take it till next week. And they're like, we were wrong. You have to take it now. We don't have it. You didn't give us any. You're supposed to give it to us next week. And they're like, oh, well, then we'll put in an order to the pharmacy. And we'd be like, it's 300 fucking dollars. If you give it to me, it's $30. So you making this decision costs me $270. That's insane. Or they would call at 5 p.m. and be like, you need to start tonight. And we'd be like, pharmacies are closed. And then we'd be driving around the city finding a pharmacy that was open to get them to call in. It was just a fucking abject nightmare. I'm so sorry. And so when the dust settled, they were all fails. We were not successful in getting pregnant from any part of this journey. And we're taking the time to grieve that right now. We gave ourselves the rest of 2023 to just be miserable. And then in 2024, we'll have a conversation we haven't gotten a chance to have it yet of what do we want to do now? Is it adoption? Is it surrogacy? What do we want to do? And we'll figure it out together as partners. My wife's amazing. But this podcast has been on my mind so much because I don't think I quite realized how much my baked in thoughts on manhood are built around fertility. You know what I mean? Like, you're a man, get her pregnant. It's just so baked into the culture. Right. And this process, which is overwhelmingly terrible for women, period. Yeah. Like, ain't no doubt about that. Not terrible for me. I had a bad experience because it turns out I have a rare genetic condition. But generally, my experiences show up. Everyone's nice to you. To be clear, they're nice to you because so often men won't be involved in this process. Right. So they were just thrilled I was there. But go there, jerk off in a cup, go away, you're done. My wife is doing three shots a day. Each shot costs $80. You know what I mean? Disastrous bullshit. But so much of my baked-in societal bullshit is around, well, you're, you're a man. You got to be careful. Don't get her pregnant or whatever. Right. And to sit back and look at this shit becomes so distilled into science. And to be so non-emotional for being what is, for many people, the most emotional thing in the world, to have it be so... <sighs> There's so much to unpack for me about my fertility journey, which is I don't have one. And I'm very fortunate that my personal mental state has always been, and if I adopt a kid, I will be thrilled. I got lucky there. I fucking dodged a bullet on that one. I saved myself a lot of therapy bills with this process. Mm. But my wife wants to be a mom, and I want to be a dad. And my wife wanted to be a pregnant mom, and that's gone. And watching that go away has been so fucking hard. And if it's hard for me to watch, imagine going Imagine what it's like to go through it. Absolutely. The death of a dream. And then to give her credit here, at that exact same time, literally, I was recovering from that dick surgery where I had to sit down for four weeks. I was at this chair looking into this camera when they greenlit my television show with ice on my balls. So my wife has to be the most supportive, wonderful partner while her dream dies and mine takes off. Jeez. Just an abject fucking emotional nightmare. Do not ever work with kind body. They are the biggest fertility clinic in the world. And everyone who works there is so kind and so good. And I will, I will stand by our doctor and our nurses. I will stand by each of them. But the 
the shit that company puts in as administrative and the shit that it therefore makes them do and say is so unacceptable, it is insane. If I, if I could do nothing else, I would wish them into non-existence in a heartbeat. I was promised calls by president of the company, heads of the clinics. No one ever called me. Not once. And every time I would call them to be like, hi, you fucked up again. And we caught it. And they'd be like, oh, our bad. Just nightmare. Taking no responsibility. Nothing. Right. Nothing. So anyway, I still don't think I have a good grasp on how much of my manhood is wrapped up in having a kid. But a lot of my manhood culturally was wrapped up in my ability to sire one. Sure. And to not have that has been a really weird unpacking to it just inside my skull constantly. And it mostly manifests in dark ass humor. I don't grieve that I can't have children because my mentality hasn't changed. At some point, I'll be a great dad. And that I consider my parental, parental, who says it like that? Jesus Christ. I consider you my parents, me now, yes. I consider my parental figures, my parents to also be teachers. Like if I was a teacher, I would consider them my kids and I would be fulfilled. Right. Um, but watching that dream die for my wife has been so hard. And having that dream die and watching it and feeling that pit day in and day out, and therefore just thinking about what the fuck is happening to her, and knowing that at every step of this way, except for my fucking doctor who fist bumped me and said, you'll be golfing by Saturday, and then did a surgery that took four months to recover from, <laughs> except for that dude, who was like the broiest motherfucker on the planet. Good God almighty. Except for that dude, everyone has been so good to me. Every doctor, every nurse, everyone has been so kind and so apologetic, kinda. I have been treated so well at every step of this process. And my wife has basically been curb stomped for five years. And to go through that for five years and come out of it with like, I would bet, from the time we began fertility, which is before she and I met, to the time that it all ended last year, our family, including my wife prior to me, spent $60,000 on this. And a lot of that was, by the way, covered by health insurance. That's after reimbursements. Right. We probably spent 90. You know what I mean? Right. And we were very fortunate. At the time we were doing this, we both had really good tech jobs. We could afford to put our disposable income into that. But imagine if your dream is to be a mom and you don't have that. You don't have a tech job. You're making $4,000 a year. Right? It's impossible. Congratulations. Yeah. You're not going to get your dream. Right. Right. And by the way, we may not be allowed to adopt because you know who's on the danger list? Actors. Really? Because I leave home a lot and they don't want to adopt kids into single parent households. I mean, my blood is boiling for a number of reasons. One, just hearing about the experience that your wife went through. I, I mean, my blood's not boiling for that. My heart's breaking for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the ineptitude of our healthcare system. At every stage, at every fucking step. Is. 
I feel like the bloom came off the rose for me with the whole respect doctors, respect lawyers, respect police officers, that whole thing. For most of those people, it, the bloom went off the rose a long time ago, but with doctors, I still kind of had it. Yeah. And I'm not going to go into specifics, but I've been having some medical issues lately that have caused me mm. to lose quite a bit of faith Sorry. in medicine. It's very, very small potatoes by comparison. But I, this story, you know, you hear about the American healthcare system and you hear about insurance companies and it all feels abstract until Insane. you hear a story like this from somebody that you know. And then it's like, wow, okay, they're not bullshitting. Well, and fertility benefits are so fucking rare. Tech companies tend to have them now because they want to get good talent and women want to be able to have kids. Right. And so fertility benefits show up. They covered my surgery for the most part. I hit my deductible real quick and then a lot of costs got absorbed. But so many costs, that $10,000 for the elective egg retrieval, gone, right? Like that's not money that could be reimbursed because it was elective now. Even though we started the cycle for an IVF, because the IVF got canceled, all of the coverage went away. It's a nightmare. But most companies don't have this. You're fucking out of luck. Right. And if you don't make, you know, I, I was making $92,000 a year or whatever at my tech company. My wife was making good money. We had the ability to do it. But if you don't make that, adoption companies also aren't that interested in adopting to you because right. they want to put kids in quote unquote good households and good is money in this fucking capitalist hellhole we live in. Yeah. And so it's been so eye-opening to me. The fertility side of medical care, I never would have thought of twice. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason I ever would have. In the same way, because it's like, not only am I a guy, but I'm not a guy that has sex with women, so I no otherwise have no... Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I don't know. I've been having a tough time parsing how I feel about the, the system, how I feel about what's my worth as a man now, I guess. And it's weird because I don't feel that a lot. Every once in a while, it'll come up. But because of who I am and the way I think, it goes away pretty quick. But for my wife, she has wanted to be pregnant with a baby for so long. And even if we successfully become parents, and I look forward to that day, that one dream is done. And that's fucking awful. It is. It's awful. And there's no system set up to support that. Besides maybe therapy benefits if you got them. Good luck. Right. And as much as I espouse therapy, there's nothing that says that you're going to go through a situation like, like that and end up with a good therapist. 100%. And look, medical companies do not make it easy to find one. Right. And once you find a good one, they're probably going to drop insurance because insurance companies don't pay them very well. Right. You are absolutely right. Fucking nightmare. An absolute nightmare. I want to make sure I ask this question right. Yeah, what are you doing to be a support to your, your partner during this time? I just try to be present. You know what I mean? And honestly, that's a thing I'm pretty bad at. I get so sucked up in my work. And right now, I am the executive producer of a television show that I am a lead actor in that has been a dream my whole life. And I'm in charge of all marketing and promotion for that show. So I disappear into this office for hours on end to make fucking gifts and clips. My wife sometimes feels like she has to go at it alone. And it's me getting so single focused, I fucking lose the forest for the trees. 
we didn't get the dog because of this situation, but we did have a moment where we were like, fuck it. If we're not going to have a baby, let's have a fucking puppy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I think she had it out with me not so long ago because she would get sad. And I would be like, what's wrong? And her answer was, it's always the same thing. I'm just sad. I am sad. I am grieving the loss of a thing. And every once in a while, that sucks. And the only way I can parse that from my brain is I have to remember that every once in a while, I'm just sad that I have dead parents. And I grieve that all the time. And she lost a pregnancy nine times. Each one of those failed cycles is technically classified as a miscarriage. Right. She's a fucking champion warrior, and the medical industry kicked her in the teeth. And she got genetically unlucky. And then she married a dude who got genetically worse luck. Right. Right. Which really, therefore, if we break it down, it's on her for marrying. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's on her. She doesn't like when I make that joke, so I'm glad I put it on the podcast. (laughs) So again, a neon sign hanging over your head saying, this guy has no sperm. This guy cannot get you pregnant. You have the opposite of... of You should have had the fucking t-shirts made, Ned. I should have. (laughs) I should have done it. Can't get you pregnant. It's impossible. Not unlikely. Can't do it. (laughs) Uh, So that, Mike, is my detoxicity story for today. Wow. There's so many turns to it. It felt like I was... Listening to a movie, listening to an audio book, whatever. I've written this article probably a hundred times because I want to write an article that tells people do not ever fucking use kind body. Just don't do it. And it is because there are so many studies that show if you are doing the fertility stuff and you're stressed and you're emotional, it's bad. Your hormones are now spiking in ways that are counteracting the hormones you're purposefully injecting into your body. Right. And kind body at every turn made things worse, stressful, and emotional. Look, my wife and I have fertility problems. That's why we didn't get pregnant. But also, all the things that they say you have to do as a woman to get successfully pregnant, they actively worked against by being shitheads. And it was none of the people that work there. I I have no qualms. I, I loved our doctor. She is amazing. And every nurse took such good care of us. This company is a fucking nightmare. And they should be put out of business, and all those great people should work at a good company. Every one of them. If only it were that easy. If only capitalism didn't make it that a nice, sweet, venture-backed fertility company was actually there to help women and not just be a fucking egg retreat. As That was the real thing. Kind body is exquisite if you have a perfectly non-fertility issue problem and you need an egg retrieval. They're right. the best place in the world. They can do it in like a minute. They're great at it. But if there is one problem, and my wife and I had many problems, they are not equipped to handle your edge case. And they will actively make it feel like it's your problem. And it's terrible. Jesus. It's terrible. Fuck. I'm I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I'm a million times more sorry that your wife had to go through that. She's, She's unbelievable. She deserves everything in the world, including to be the most incredible mother that she will be. I hope that that happens. I'm Me sure too. that it will happen. Thank you. I yes. appreciate that. Yes. And then on top of that, my life's dreams have come true. 
it's been a weird two years. Actually, how do you balance that? How do you take such Man. a huge low and such a huge high and make sense out of it? It's hard because uh, this is a weird. I'm taking us on a run. Have you ever seen the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? No, I have not. Great movie. Everyone's seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's one of Robert Downey Jr.'s first movies post rehab, and it's great. At one point, someone says everything happens, and he says, "Don't say for a reason." What? Because I survived here, ten people are going to die in a bus cra- bus crash in Cincinnati. Fuck that. And the guy says, "I've been to Cincinnati. You win." Which is oh, a really funny line. Is... <laughs> um, but anyway, like it, it, I don't like thinking of the world through the lens of it revolves around my experience, right? So if I'm having a really good day, the opposite of that statement is someone else has to be having a really bad day. And I don't really like that. I don't like thinking the universe works like that. Right. Everyone has a path and that path exists. But what has been really, I would say, hard for me is having the best of days, right? I went to LA and I shot a TV show and the TV show is incredible. Go watch Encounter Party. It's so fucking good. And my wife has been the most incredible partner at every step of my achieving that dream. And I know that that's because she is figuring out how to parse that her dream died while mine won. And I think what I've been having a lot of trouble with in answer to that question is, so what? You know what I mean? What do I do with this? I had a two-year nightmare of a story. My wife had a five-year nightmare of a story. And our story continues. Adoption may also be the single most fucking terrible thing I've ever been through. I've heard it fucking sucks. What do I do with that? Do I tell people not to do it? Of course not. Do I give advice? What advice do I have? Don't fucking use kind body? It feels like to have gone through it. The only thing I could hope is that I could stop other people from going through it. That's the only thing I could hope. But how? I guess, dudes, there is no reason not to head to any fertility clinic and be like, can I get my sperm checked out? You might find out you have zero. That's a tip. I can take that one and run with it. Because when I had zero, they were so sure that a man could have a kid and it was a woman's fault. The amount of times they told me it was my wife's fault we weren't getting pregnant is so fucking high. Now, I don't blame them. They knew my wife had a fertility issue and no one had actually tested my sperm yet. But we were spending six months trying to have sex to have kids. And it turns out the person who couldn't get pregnant was me. And not a single time did that thought enter anyone's brain, including my or my wife's. That is a societal fuckery. That is societal bullshit. The fact they called me laughing. I'll never forget that laugh. Because it made me want to laugh. Oh, we fucked something up. Like, oh, that's funny. You fucked up the dick thing. Cool. No, I had a medical problem. And they laughed about it and were sure it couldn't be my fault. That's crazy. That's fucking crazy. And that, I think, is where I, I have trouble parsing. I have trouble going into those meetings where I was begging people to give us the money to make this TV show and having them say yes and then literally getting off that call, getting in the car and going to a fertility appointment where I was going to yell at someone. It all feels like a fucking fog. Mm. It feels like I didn't experience it because either I experienced the ultimate of highs, getting this fucking TV show, and this TV show is good, and God willing and a huge viewership. I don't even believe in God, but God willing... I don't know why I said that. I'm not a God person. It's okay. Uh, but God, 
God willing and the creek don't rise. I guess we'll just lean into that trope. And a huge viewership of people digging it. And thus far, everyone who's watched it has loved the show. We'll get a second season and a third season and a fourth season. And it's going to be awesome. And my career can keep going and I'll have a great time. And when I think of those things, I never think of how bad it was. And when I think of how bad it was, I never think about the fact that I was achieving a dream. I have no way to tie those two together. I just think about these completely separate paths that I walked and my brain can't track that I walked them simultaneously. I mean, that is some serious emotional whiplash that happened to you. Crazy. And the reality is that the world doesn't operate on a straight line. Everything isn't consistently bad, nor is it ever consistently good. A lot of times we juggle both. And I don't know that we're taught how to do that. No. We're Uh, taught to celebrate winning the state championship and to like cry when your dog dies. Right. But what happens when your dog dies while you're at the state championship? The championship, exactly. Exactly. Uh, And we're not taught that. And I don't know that we have a lot of words for how to deal with it. And that's weird. That's a weird one. And I think as men, we're not taught to be good partners. I think a lot of my partnership has been unlearning bad habits. I think as men, we're taught that women are partners to us. We're not taught that we are a partnership. And that takes some serious recognition every once in a while. I'll catch myself doing it. Sure. Uh, And it'll be like, what the fuck am I doing? I quit my job. I'm a full-time actor now. I can do that because my wife has a steady job. I can have months where I make great money to have months where I make no money because I have someone making the same amount of money every month. Right. And part of my instinct is going, well, yeah, that's how it works. And no, of course it's not. I don't know. TV told me it worked once. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't know how to walk the path of the high and the low. I have, in the last two years, I have achieved more soul-fulfilling stuff than possibly anything in the world. I launched a film festival. That film festival is now a 15-festival circuit around the world. I just voiced a thing for Amazon that's really cool. Everything about my life in terms of my hopes and dreams is fucking killing it. And sometimes it makes me feel like, therefore, I'm a bad partner because my hopes and dreams are killing it and my wife's are dying in front of me. And that's not a real thing. I'm also smart enough to know that's an insane thought. But it does mean my wife has to put on a smile to celebrate with me. And that means that she's having the exact opposite reaction of me, right? If she's sad and any part of her feels jealous or bitter, which like I would be. Yeah, that's human nature. Yeah, that's absolutely human nature. And if she feels those things, she's going to feel like a bad partner. Right. That sucks. I joke about it all the time. You know, I used to coach job interviews because as an actor, I've gone on a million, if you count auditions as job interviews. Which they are. And I'm really good at job interviews. I generally get the job. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I generally get the job. I'm an upper middle class white kid who speaks like I speak. And I've been told I can be anything my whole life. And I have a private college education that I paid off the loans for with my dad's life insurance money. I have been set up for success at every step. And society has baked me into the job interview master, right? So I would do these interviews, these coachings, and usually I was assigned recent college graduate women. That was my most common client from the company. And they would always ask, where do you know to do this? And my answer is, oh, have you ever just like been a straight white dude who's been told he can be anything his whole life? Oh, you haven't? Well, then I'm here to help you. (laughs) I got this naturally and that sucks for you. But 
watching it happen at every step of what my my wife goes through with this journey, watching every step of my white male privilege be helpful is infuriating. It is infuriating how how easy it is for me to grease the wheels at every step of this fucking thing. And it, and nothing has made me hate society more than watching how easy it is for my wife to spend two hours on a phone begging someone to answer a question. And while she's on hold, I call the same phone number and have the answer in five minutes. It is the most infuriating thing in the world. And the anecdotal don't hate the world version of this is when we got our apartment, it needed work because it, it was not a very expensive apartment, which means it was old and beat up. <laughs> and, and the contractor would constantly come and ask me things. And here's the deal. I have a BFA in musical theater. I was raised by a blind single mother. I have not a single handy bone in my fucking body. I am useless at every question a contractor could ever hope to ask me. I make podcasts. I am not wearing a tool belt. You know who is? My wife. She knows everything. And they would never talk to her. They would get so awkward. So she would prime me with answers to questions. Oh, or they would come up to me and ask me questions and be like, literally go ask my wife. My wife has the answer to this question. Go talk to her. And that's the joke version of this, right? That's the funny version of society taught those men that men know these things. So they came to talk to me. But that is a microcosm of the entire story. At every turn, my needs were heard and respected and supported and hers never once were at any step of that story it's a dark tale and i try to tell it with as much levity as i can because i do think from a dark humor perspective that story's fucking funny (laughs) it's to call back and say oh no we didn't fuck up there's something wrong with you is objectively hilarious i couldn't write a better joke in my life. The fact that there are zero courier services legally allowed to transport that sample, even medical courier services. So they had to hand it to my wife to get into New York City traffic and drive 15 blocks, which might have taken more than an hour. Oh, it's New York City. <laughs> like, like, that's insane. That is insane. That is insane. That's so fucking funny. And so I try to find that side of it whenever I can. Because it's sort of in the same way that, like, my mom's cancer was discovered two days after my dad's funeral. There's a hilarity to that joke. And that's the only way I've found that I can get through this without that's... thinking about murdering the world. Yeah, yeah don't blame you. It's uh, the uh, cliche, you gotta laugh to keep from crying. You have to. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm going to do with this story. Like I said, I've written this article 800 times. It's like 30,000 words. I need someone to help me break it down. I have no idea what to do with this. I think it'd be a fun, hilarious, I think 28 blocks, but it's just transporting sperm is such a funny fucking bit. I could make a 90 minute movie and it would be good. Like the Russians come for it. I don't know. You can get Um, most deaf to voice one of the eggs. Most deaf needs to be in this movie. (laughs) There's no question. Maybe that's the solution. It feels like an extended SNL sketch, but if I guess what I would say, my takeaway, my wife and I started dating while she was in the thick of this, which means for a long time, I pushed back on this side of her life because it felt like I was getting in too quick to a relationship. I was being asked to sign up for something I wasn't signed up for yet. Dudes, if your partner is going to go through any kind of this fertility journey at any stage, whether it's just getting 
checked out to make sure their fertility stuff's good, whether it's I'm going to go freeze some eggs, whatever it is, you have to get involved. It cannot be her thing to do on her own while you live your life. Right. It just can't. And that, I also think that if yeah. you're not getting involved, it doesn't bode well for you as a good father. 100%. And you should get tested too. Do not take for granted that you can get your partner pregnant. I am the first one to tell you, you quite literally might not. When you get in there, they are going to say, oh, let's do all these tests on your partner. They will assume that if there's an issue, it is hers. You are guaranteed to be thought of as probably fine. Don't listen to them get tested at the same time. Because if there is a problem, you can save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of stress by knowing it day one. If we had been together at the time and we had made this decision together and I had gotten tested when she began this journey, I bet we would have saved $50,000. Easy. That's an insane amount of money. That is an insane amount of money. That is more money than I have ever made as an actor in a year, ever. That's more than, I would say, probably most American salaries. And that's cash that I got very fortunate that I got to use out of life insurance money, inheritance from my parents, and having a good job. And my wife having a good job, and that being that. But that's an insane amount of money. And that's what it costs to get pregnant when you have a problem. I take that back. Sorry, now I'm looking at what is the average. Well, the national average is so fucked by Elon Musk, you know what I mean? The average is skewed. (laughs) Right. Per, but And it says household, not person. Mm, I also think about life in terms of my metrics. You know, people always ask me, why is SAG on strike? And I would always answer it the exact same way, which is, look, we're not here to talk about Brad Pitt. We know he makes a lot of money. Don't worry about it. Right. We're here to talk about the fact that in order to earn health insurance as a SAG actor, the average that you have to make in a year from your acting on a union job is $27,000. And that gets you a year of health insurance. And 92% of the union does not meet that threshold. That is in fucking sane. That is the reason SAG went on strike. And that is how I think about people's salaries. Like the majority, now they all have three other jobs because no one can live on that money. Sure. But the majority of people who do that as a profession, ignoring the non-union side of this thing, do not come close to the bare minimum of a not enough money Amount of money. <laughs> Good God. What are we doing? What are we doing? Capitalism is a nightmare from it, which we'll never it, escape. It really is. It really yeah. is. It fucking sucks. Yeah. Huh. So I'm sorry to bring you a really uplifting tale. But what a story. Uh, that's pretty much all I can say about that. Uh, thank you, Ned, for being so open and honest and sharing your story and reaching out to me to share this story. Usually I have to do the chasing. um, But in this case, Ned circled back and was like, hey, I got something that would be really, really cool for this podcast. And I have to agree, this is a topic that we have not covered before. And it is super important. Um, So once again, uh, thanks, Ned, for taking the time to speak so eloquently. And honestly, good luck on your continued journey. I'm sure we'll follow up for a third episode at some point in the future. Uh, if you would like, you can follow Ned on Instagram at Ned Donovan. Uh, he somehow got the name Ned Donovan because there is more than one professional entertainer with that name. So he is Ned Donovan. Uh, you can also go to neddonovan.com to find out more about him and Encounter Party, uh, which airs on the Dungeons & Dragons Adventures channel. Thanks again, Ned.
Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace